Good morning, everyone. Just going to jump straight in this morning with with today's scripture. So it's the third in our series on Galatians. So we're starting on chapter two now. Sam's covered the first chapter over the last couple of weeks. It'll be Galatians chapter two, verse one to ten. Just a couple of things I just want to quickly uh, highlight uh, just before I start reading uh, the Bible and whilst you're finding it is where it talks about those who are influential in Jerusalem or if it talks about those who seem to be pillars in Jerusalem that is basically talking about the apostles who are in the church in Jerusalem Okay, so I'll be referring to them as the apostles in Jerusalem and also just we've heard it a lot uh, recently and even today it's come up but just re-emphasise actually when, when I'm talking about grace it's the uh, un- unmerited favour of God poured out upon us, okay? It's this, this free gift, but it's more than just a free gift. It's actually something positive coming beyond that as well to us. So, Galatians 2, verse 1 to 10. We're ready. It says, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for the minds of the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked to us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So here, we see Paul's recounting his second visit to Jerusalem. And though it says this visit happened 14 years uh, after, it's likely it's talking about 14 years after his conversion, not after his first visit, which Sam was talking about last week. So this passage may seem insignificant at first. If you were to just sit down and read the book of Galatians, I think there are... The passages before it and after it would probably jump out more to us. And we kind of see, that's just it's a, almost a bit of filler. Still important, but actually it might not be what we're initially drawn to. But actually, what Paul's doing here in this passage is building upon and still laying foundations of what he has already said. And this is for one true aim, for one true goal, to show that there is only one gospel. There is God's gospel. 
Whether it's the gospel that the apostles in Jerusalem were sharing, whether it's what Paul was sharing, they are one in the same. So Paul was writing to refute the distorted gospel that the Judaizers had been teaching the Galatians. They had been teaching that salvation isn't by grace alone. But they have been teaching that it's Jesus plus something. As you remember, Sam went to great lengths to talk to us about that in the first week, didn't he? That actually the gospel message should be Jesus plus nothing. But his Judaizers were bringing in criteria or requirements. So they had this view that not all Jews are Christians, but all Christians have to be Jews. So you had to be circumcised uh, and maybe go through other rituals and rigma in order to be a Christian. It wasn't just this free gift. But we've seen already that Paul refutes this and he says, this is no gospel at all. And if anyone is to preach this gospel to you, they are to be accursed. Even if Paul himself was to come back and preach, actually, actually, no, no, I got it wrong. You, you are to be circumcised first. Paul's saying, no, 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 don't even listen to me then, and I'm to be accursed, because this is the gospel that I received from Jesus. No man taught it to me, it was direct revelation from God. So Paul has utter confidence in the gospel that he preaches. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone as our Lord and Saviour, and this is a free gift, it is by grace. It's totally all of God's. It's not deserved. It's not earned. Coming back to what Sam said the other week, it's coming back to Jesus plus nothing. So in today's passage, Paul clearly lays out two reasons as to why he went to Jerusalem for the second time. One was because of a revelation from God. And two, it was to ensure that he's not run or running in vain. So let's start by looking at the revelation from God. So we're not actually told specifically in scripture what this revelation was. Uh, Lots of people suspect it's actually, if you go to Acts 11, uh, Agapus gives a prophecy to Paul about a famine coming in Jerusalem. And so Paul went on a relief mission with Barnabas and it's quite likely that that all fits in together with when Paul will go to his second mission. So lots of people put it down to that. But actually, we don't know for certain that's what it is. But I think the really important thing to note here is God is in Paul's journey to Jerusalem. Whatever the revelation was, it was a revelation from God. It is God-ordained. Sorry, I'll move my page and lost my face. Okay, so yes, it's ordained by God. So we need to be open to what God is saying to us, don't we? Like Sue was saying earlier, we, we can be like, okay, I must go to church because that's, that's the place where God's going to speak to me. Or I must speak to a Christian about this situation because that's how God's going to speak to me. Uh, I'm sure Alex won't mind me sharing. I should have checked beforehand, but I wasn't going to share it before. Um, her dad is someone who she finds God really speaks to her through. If there's a big decision or something going on in life, she finds that actually as she goes and speaks to her dad about it, actually there's usually something where it just, there's something in her heart where she knows actually that, that was from God, that, that one thing, and her dad isn't a Christian. 
But it's just something that she's realised, actually, that's one way God, God speaks to me. And so we need to be open to how God is wanting to speak to us. You might think that God's speaking to you about something already now, or has in the past. And you might find that it's a bit scary. You might be thinking, you're not Paul. Like, look at the mighty Apostle Paul. He, plants, like, he was planting like, churches weekly almost at times. He was doing these mighty miracles for God. He was refuting people who were getting the gospel wrong. You might think, how, how can I? I'm small, I'm little. How, how can I have this calling for God, whatever that may be, on your heart? But I just want to jump back to verse 8. It says, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. So the same God that was working through Peter, the, like you could almost see him as the head of the Jerusalem church, the, the, at the forefront of God's mission to the Jewish people, the same God working in him was working through Paul, who we saw just last week was someone that was persecuting the church at the beginning, wasn't he? was giving his all against them. And yet by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. By the grace of God, God turns around Paul's life and gets him living for him wholeheartedly. So the same God is at work in both of them. In 1 Corinthians 12 it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So it doesn't matter how small you feel, how insignificant you feel. It's God we need to rely on. He's the one that calls. But it says that unless God builds the house, we labour in vain. Or it says the builders labour in vain. So it's almost like a funny, a funny twist, isn't it? But it's like, it's like saying, actually, we, we need to give ourselves to what God is doing and then it will last and then it will bear fruit. But it's actually God that's doing the building. He, it's by his grace. Paul says, I worked harder than all the other apostles. But it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So it doesn't matter how small we feel, how insignificant we feel. It's by his grace. So whether it's the Apostle Paul, whether it's Mike Betts, Steph Liston who was here the other day, Sam, Mike, Neil, Nigel, you might see all these people doing things. Or what Sue, what she shared earlier, and you might be like, I couldn't get to the front and share that. But, the same God is at work in everyone, empowering all those things in all those people. Moses, when he parted the Red Sea by lifting his staff, that was the same God at work through him, who's at work in you, if Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. So, actually, in a way, we're almost belittling God if we're saying, I'm too small, God, you can't use me. We also have to be careful as well that we don't go too far the other way and be like, actually, and just doing things in our own strength. But remember, actually, it's by your grace. God, it's by your grace. So, if you can't see yourself fulfilling what God has for you, it's true, you can't on your own. If you lift your eyes to God and say, in his strength and his power, give yourself 
to the things he's calling you to, all things are possible in him. So the possibilities are endless. So we don't know what the revelation was. But let's be a people who are looking to see what God is revealing to us and responding to it. All by his grace. So there's the revelation, reason number one. Reason number two is that Paul seems to be worried, or some people even say fearful, that he's run or running in vain. It's easy to assume when you first read that. Is Paul worried that he's got the gospel wrong? Is Paul worried that actually his gospel isn't going to bear fruit because he's got it wrong? He needs to go to Jerusalem to check that it's right. But actually... From what we've already seen in Galatians 1, Paul says, the gospel I've proclaimed to you is the one true gospel. I have utter confidence in it. If I was to change it, I, was to, I am to be accursed. If anyone else is to change it, they're to be accursed. So we know it's not due to a, a lack of faith in the gospel. It's not due to him being uncertain that he's got the gospel wrong. But it would appear that there's a fear of fruitlessness. See, if the apostles in Jerusalem have been affected by the Judaizers, their gospel might have become Jesus plus something. And if they're building a church upon Jesus plus something, and the Gentiles are building a church upon Jesus plus nothing, the two don't go together, do they? It will be division among the church, and it can cause fruitlessness to come from Paul's uh, mission. So, it would appear that Paul, Paul was worried that actually, God, there's division coming in your church. But, but what we see is God revealed to him to go. He didn't go out of the worry per se, but it shows God is in control. God is building his house. Though it looked like if we zoom in on the Galatian church for a second, then we see that this letter was written to refute the Judaizers that are teaching a different gospel. That gospel is already trying to make its way in the Galatian churches. People are falling from grace. And yet, God's got it under control. And this shows why it's so significant that Paul takes Titus with him. Because it says, Paul goes with Barnabas. It's as if those two are together. They're going together. He's like, but I took Titus along with me. So there's something, something slightly different there. And the reason he takes Titus, as we've already seen, is that he's, been, he's a Greek or a Gentile. He's non-Jewish. He's not circumcised. But Titus has already responded to the gospel that Paul has preached. So as far as Titus is concerned, as far as the gospel is concerned, as far as Paul is concerned, Titus is a Christian. But he takes Titus along with him. You can think of it as a test. So he takes him with him privately, it says, before the apostles, to see would they get him to be circumcised or not. And actually they didn't. They didn't ask him to be circumcised. They said they gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. 
They affirmed Paul in his ministry. They said, there's nothing we can add to your gospel other than that you remember the poor, the very thing that Paul was eager to do. But this is important because what it does is, so all those that are saying Paul's no apostle, Paul's got the gospel wrong, actually this right hand of fellowship is affirming Paul in that he is an apostle. It's affirming Paul in his apostolic ministry. It's affirming him that his gospel is correct. It's affirming that actually the Judaizers might have even been saying to the Galatians, it's Jesus plus something. That's what's being taught in Jerusalem. But actually, by this process, it's saying, no, no, that's refuted. That's not right. And the truth is, Jesus plus something leads to slavery. I think it would be fair to say that we all love the idea of getting something for free, don't we? We might go shopping, see an offer, buy one, get one free, buy two, get the third free. And these deals, they kind of pull us in, don't they? And we find it really easily as that, that's why we justify getting that thing. We might not have been after that thing in the first place, but it's free, so why not? But how amazing would it be to truly get something for free? Something that didn't require you to make a purchase in the first place. Let's be honest. If something comes along that we, we think of as quite big and quite uh, important or amazing or something we really want and, someone, and a, a shop just said, take me for free, you'd think, okay, what's the catch? What's the con here? Like, like okay, I understand that if I purchase, if I do something myself, I might get something out of it. But to get something totally for free? But this seems to be the perspective that the Judaizers are coming from. They think nothing is ever totally free. They think that as Jews, they've, been, they've had the heritage of the people of God. So, so of course, if anyone knows what God really wants, it's not the Gentiles. It's the Jews, isn't it? They've, they've got, they already had the Old Testament. They've been the people of God for many, many years. They, they know what God truly wants, not what someone's had as some revelation. They think that there are requirements or criteria that need fulfilling in order to receive the gift of salvation. That you can't be saved unless you obey these criteria. Let's pick up on verse 3 in the passage. I'm just going to read from there again. It says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Cool, lovely. Sorry, I couldn't see the book. Alright. Um, just to note for a second, it says the false brothers secretly brought him. So I've been referring to them as Judaizers. Can't even say that word, I'm not going to say it anymore. <laughs> but um, secretly came in. It's not necessarily obvious to spot. People can secretly come in. People look like they are fully saved, look like they are preaching the normal gospel. And it might just be small perversions here or there. 
But as we've already heard, the gospel's got to be, the gospel of grace is like our plumb line, isn't it? It's what we measure everything else from. And we need to make sure that we are measuring everything that's coming our way with that gospel, with that plumb line. Even what I'm saying to you this morning, you need to be listening and thinking, actually, is, is that quite right? Is that biblical? Like we have to weigh and test all things. It's so easy to be pulled astray. So the Judah, I've got it again. The Judaizers teaching might seem harmless to us at first. Yet Paul vigorously stands against these ideas, saying that it, these aren't just teachings that are wrong, but, but they're harmful. These teachings of Jesus plus something, of criteria and requirements that need to be met in order to be saved, actually bring you into bondage, actually bring you into slavery. It says, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. Slavery to what? But actually Jesus came to fulfill the law for us. That we no longer have to try and earn our salvation by following laws and requirements, by fulfilling certain things. But Jesus fulfilled all of that for us. But the Bible talks that, like that thing, talks about those laws as like living under law, as like being slavery. It's like being, it says it's like being married to someone who points out every single flaw you have. Every single time you do something wrong, they point it out, but do nothing to help you. And there's nothing that can be done by them to help you. It doesn't bring life. It just squeezes down on you and, and pushes you down. Ephesians 2 puts it like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even the good works that God has for us are by his grace. He's prepared them beforehand. He calls us to them. He gives us the strength to do them. This is Paul's gospel of grace. It's not by work, not by deeds or achievement of our own. But we are saved by receiving God's free gift of righteousness by faith. There's no other criteria. There's no other requirements. But it's just simple faith. So you can see why Paul says any other gospel is no gospel at all. Because you are not saved by Jesus and something. It is not good news, Jesus and something. That's slavery and that is bondage. So the gospel truth, saved by grace through faith. And I know I've said it a lot, but it's worth it. It's so important. Brings us into freedom in our lives. Where we're not trying to earn something. We're not trying to earn a status. We're not trying to earn salvation. We're not trying to make ourselves holy enough to come before God. And it keeps us free from bondage. And that's why Paul didn't even submit. Even for a second. Even for a moment he didn't submit. To those false brothers that came in. Trying to pervert the gospel. Trying to say we know best. Because he knows the consequences are disastrous. 
So we need to protect the truth of the gospel. And as we, Sam has just reminded us, actually we need to live by the truth of the gospel daily. The grace isn't just for the point of salvation, but we are to receive the abundant gift of grace and righteousness every day that we may rule and reign in life. Do we feel like we're ruling and reigning in life? That's a promise of scripture. So like I said, after Paul stood against his false brothers, he tried to take away his freedom, tried to take away the freedom of the Galatian church. He said the apostles gave him the right hand of fellowship and added nothing to him. They added nothing. They just said, please remember the poor. And Paul said, that's the very thing that I'm eager to do. I just want to encourage you to think for a moment. Uh, Neil and Nigel, could you come back up, please? That's all right. Yeah, so I encourage you to think. Because the gospel, in essence, is really simple, isn't it? It's really simple. It's a simple truth. But is it being preserved in your daily life? Or are you living from the place of Jesus plus something? Maybe you don't feel accepted by God if you don't tick the right boxes. Maybe you feel, I don't really read my Bible enough. That that might make worship hard on Sunday because you don't feel like you can be as free because actually you've kind of, you've failed. You've not not done what you should be doing. Maybe you feel like, I don't pray enough. I I don't make it to church prayer meetings enough or growth group enough. Just like when I get home from work and I feel so tired and I, I don't make it along, but, but oh, are people judging me? Is, is God judging me? Oh, I could be so much, so much better, so much freer if I went along to growth group. Maybe you're slipping into old habits of sin, things that, that you thought, oh my God, I thought I dealt with that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do it now. I'm going to not, not look at that or I'm not going to do this or I'm going to really hold my tongue and try not to swear or, or whatever it may be. Maybe you're striving to attain some level of goodness. Or maybe you're just doing life in your own strength. Thinking, okay, God, okay, I've got this to do, I've got this to do, I've got this to do. All right, so today I'll do this and this and this, and do this and this and then that. I think that one's a real stickler for me. Even this week, there's been times where I've got home from work and I just really felt God impressing on me. Sit down, relax, just put some worship music on. And actually, that's <laughs> turned into a really joyful time of just resting in God. Resting in God. I can think, actually, I, I want to rest, so I'm going to put the TV on. Or, like, oh, how do I rest in God when the Bible sometimes can seem so challenging to read? Like, I try and read it and I'm really tired. And actually, I just found that actually just putting some worship music on and just sitting down was really refreshing. Really refreshing. So I just encourage you, if, if any of these things are speaking to you, if you've slipped into trying to tick the right boxes rather than living from a place of grace, maybe you realise, actually, I don't think I've ever lived from this place of grace. And just in a moment, I'm just going to 
given the opportunity to respond to that. That's not a, a judgmental thing. I think all of us in this room would be honest if we were saying, at times, we all struggle with some of these things. We all fall into that place of trying to, oh, actually, I haven't done that, I haven't did that, I don't, oh, I don't quite feel worthy or I've done that, and I shouldn't have done that, God, and oh, what worries me? But this is the good news of the gospel, is it is by grace. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus, the great high priest, has, has suffered all the weaknesses that we go through, all the temptations that we go through. And he says, the way you beat them, the way you live, is you come to me, you come to my throne of grace and receive grace and mercy to help. Uh, and so, in the second, Neil and Nigel are just going just gonna to play, play a song for us. And it's just, if that's the way you want to respond, respond to that. If, if there's someone that's next to you that you want to pray with you, do that. But I, I just encourage you, if this is really speaking to you, or something this morning has been speaking to you this morning, just come forward for prayer. It's not about coming to the front doesn't mean, oh, suddenly I'm closer to God. It's not about that. We said it's by grace. It's about you and God. But actually, sometimes there's just something in that prophetic act of saying, God, I'm struggling with these things, but I'm choosing to walk forwards as a prophetic act to say, God, I need you. I need you to change me and I need you to help me. So any of those responses are fine.